Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, to answer a little bit of everything from the Vancouver Canucks, two games into this season as we review the events of both Wednesday and Thursday night. So much excitement and optimism coming out of the season-opening win against the Oilers and uh, some issues uh, presented themselves on the second night of the season. And I guess the biggest issue was that guy. Uh, I think they call him McDavid. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. Connor McSomebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just torched everybody, right? Like, that was an unreal performance. Uh, you know, for me, though, like, here's my narrative, right? If I was writing off the game in old school fashion, my narrative would have been that the game was lost when the Canucks were trailing by one and Quinn Hughes tried to fight Ryan Nugent Hopkins <laughs> over a perceived elbow on, on Brock Besser and, you know, goes to the box, takes the Canucks off the power play like they're threatening there with a chance to tie, uh, gets out of the boxes, defending as a winger, loses McDavid on the coverage. Uh, that Dreisaitl finds him on, and that's the hat trick goal, and the f- restores the two goal lead. Uh, Edmonton never looked back after that. Canucks need to be more disciplined. That's my game story, anyway. Um, but look, like Quinn Hughes is not the guy who has to settle scores. Don't settle scores on the power play. What are, what are we talking? And then everyone's like, everyone who spent the last forty eight hours making fun of Toronto media for the Simmons hit is like, this is going to be huge. What a big moment! And it's like. <laughs> You don't get to have your cake and eat it, too. You either make fun of Toronto media excesses and do something different or shut the fuck up. That's my view of it anyway. I I think that was an undisciplined play by Quinn Hughes. I'd bet um, that the Canucks coaching staff and and him will have a chat about it. And and look, you, you have no problem with it. I'm not like criticizing the guy. I'm just saying for me, that was the TSN turning point. Right. So he steps out of the penalty box and now you've got three defensemen on the ice and Yeah. Look, confusion is not the best strategy to defend Connor McDavid 
No. <laughs> you know, the, the, the great players, you give them that instant of hesitation and they're going to take the mile and that's what he did and you know yeah. I, I, look the the second Connor mcdavid the second of his goals oh. the the ridiculous oh. speed i like know that, that like i'll just sit oh. there and, and and you know as a Lap that up yeah as a hockey <laughs> consumer right as a hockey consumer like serve yeah. that up like i know yeah as good as it gets like he's done it to other teams and he did it to the connects last night and you know, his career has already been full of highlight reel goals, but I think that one could probably find a, a spot on his own personal highlight reel. Like it, was just, it was everything that he is, right? The speed, the power, yeah. the skill, the cut to the middle, uh, the finish, all of that. So that's fine. <laughs> the like, celly, too. The celly. Yeah. It was absolutely. so ruthless. Everything about it was ruthless. <laughs> like McDavid, McDavid can be like graceful. He can be amazing. But that was McDavid as a ruthless, just like, you know, no one can check me. I'm coming in. And he's celebrating, I think, before most, like, Canucks defenders had a chance to pivot. Like, yeah. it was unreal. It was so, so ruthless. I loved it. I loved everything you, about it. If you need a true gauge of his speed, like, don't watch Alex Edler backing in. Watch Tanner Pearson, the high guy on his side. <laughs> I know. As he, like, you know, you made the sound effects all summer long. Like, talk about Vroom. Yeah. Uh, oh. That was in all capital letters. <laughs> But my, <laughs> that's a my, gear, that was a gear up from Vroom. That was like <laughs> that was like the real rocket launcher sound. Just like yeah. you know that rocket launcher sound that's like deep and like <laughs> like it's like so powerful it's not even exciting. That's how sick that goal was. So I don't want to take anything away from McDavid because he was all world. No. And we look. I think Stunning. a lot of people thought that like they held him off the score sheet in game one. You don't keep him down two games in a row. And so the Canucks kind of knew that they had created this monster and the monster was unleashed. My issue was with his first goal and his third goal, uh, where, you know, he's in tight and it wasn't even so much his skill as his will to, you know, the one with two seconds left in the first period. There's just so much that. I didn't like about that play, starting with Demko, you know, just move the puck, like kill the clock, get out of the period. And instead, now you got a face off and it was a perfect storm. Like Dreisaitl beats Horvat cleanly and Horvat had a good night in the circle, but wrong time to get beaten cleanly. Yep. Yamamoto gets the clear shot away. And then Schmidt and Edler standing around like that's McDavid there. Like somebody do something, take the man, whatever. You can't let him just get to the net to get to the rebound. And then on his hat trick goal, yeah, he gets the first chance. We talked about Hughes sort of losing his check briefly, but it was the fact that it was a rebound. Like, it was his own rebound. You know, I know. Like, somebody hit the guy, <laughs> do something to, to prevent yeah. him. from. So, look, the Canucks did a nice job on him on opening night, and they were they were good. They were full value for the win on Wednesday. But 46 shots against, like, we saw a lot of nights last year where that shot clock total got way too high and I don't know you see Nate Schmidt like post game Nate Schmidt was like I don't know I, don't know, I haven't been on a team that gave up 40 cents. like what an amazing quote like he, he seemed completely bewildered that the Canucks gave up as many shots as they did now he's been brought in to sort of you know help them in that regard but two games into the season there he is looking up at the shot clock and he just can't believe and I was like man well I think Canuck fans can believe it because they've lived through it the last couple of years well, and and look, the at five on five, and it's only been twenty five ish minutes for the Canucks t- top line, but they're surrendering rates, uh, shots, shots against at a rate of forty five ish per yeah. sixty. Like that's not going to cut it at five on five, man. <laughs> like, um, you know, only only Zach McEwen and Jay Beagle are below thirty in terms of the shot rate, right? So, no. uh, 
you know, this blue line has improved. I actually think for the most part, aside from the Canucks top line, and I don't think there's a lot of stretches where we said that last year, like aside from the Canucks top line, Vancouver control play pretty decently. I think, I think Schmidt's been good. I think Hughes has been really good. I think there's been a lot to like. I think we've seen how the Canucks game breakers can break open games and we've seen some of the structural issues. But for me, the biggest issue is like people have suggested to me, right? That like too much has been made out of Toffoli and Levo's departure. Toffoli was only here for 10 games. Uh, Levo was hurt the second half of the season and he's not that good. Um, but we're in a situation or the Canucks are in a situation where they had manna from heaven fall from the sky in Niels Hoaglander at camp, right? Like yeah. oh, totally. uh, out, an out of nowhere, top six forward, right? Like gold found gold at training camp. They've lost one forward. They've lost one top six forward. And it seems like they have no answers. Like it, it's impossible to figure out how to replace JT Miller and that's only one injury. That's only yeah. one. No, I you know, know. like, no. like you can't tell me in a world where you find a guy at training camp and are still kind of fucked by one injury, uh, that depth isn't a reasonable concern to have had going into this season. Christ. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's sort of my, my other big takeaway here. But, you know, we were in a pretty similar situation. I noted this in the column today, but. You know, remember after two games last year, Furland wasn't quite clicking with Pedersen and, and Besser. They made a Completely. change. Yeah. The rest is history. It's it's not a departure. Like we've kind of seen slow starts. I think sometimes maybe sometimes maybe Pedersen's got to get like questioned a little and get that edge. I don't know, but uh, but I think we'll see better. Like I don't think I don't think this is a real problem, um, but it definitely was one of the big obvious takeaways from the opening. Uh, like the season opening mini series against the Oilers. Well, and and look, we've seen this already in two years. Like Elias Pettersson, he's got that sort of rage play to him, and I'm really curious to see what his response will be after McDavid ran the show. Like I know they don't see the Oilers yes. again for until February, but you know his next chance is Saturday in Calgary. And look, it's by his own, I'm sure, admission. One point, and it was a great bank pass to Besser on opening night, but one point through two games, like that's a slow start for Elias Pettersson, and I'm not worried he's going to get his, we know that, he's, he's just too talented, but it shows when, uh, you know, the, the head, to, and I still, I like the idea of him playing head-to-head and getting the tough matchups, but there's going to be nights like last night. Like, when you match up against the Tufts, you're going against other really good players on the other side, and last night you're going against the best in the National Hockey League, so... Uh, look, it's been a little bit of a slow start, but Elias Pettersson will arrive on the scene here sooner rather than later. I don't think there's much doubt. I do worry, and I, you know, especially in the Zoom world, we'll we'll have very little access to him. And even if we did get access to him, I don't think he would cop to anything. But I, I wonder about his frustration level because I think he's now seen firsthand what Bo Horvat's had to live through the last bunch of seasons, where you're cycling through wingers trying to find something, anything that's going to hit, and you know, that, that's not a great headspace for Elias Pettersson having to go through games looking over every shift and it's a different guy and understanding that, look, Miller will be back before too long and that's the best news of all. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's got to be frustrating for a guy like Pettersson. And I think oh, yeah. a, huge, a huge part of his success last year was, you know, he missed one game and Miller played every game. Like there was just that constant chemistry night after night after night and it built as the season went along. Look, you got to deal with curveballs. They come at you in sports. There's going to be injuries as they go here. 
But I, I just would, my hunch is that there had to be some internal frustration last night looking over every shift and it was for 10 and then that wasn't going well. So I don't blame Travis Green for making the move that he did, but you know, then it's Hoaglander got a chance and I think Sutter had a shift and obviously got, got a couple of opportunities and on and on it went. And I'm already seeing people like, give Justin Bailey an opportunity or, you know, it's Louie time, two games. Like, I can't believe we're it's third. Louie time. It is it, not Louie time. It is never <laughs> Louie time with Elias Pettersson. Like, I'll actually cop to. I, I'm fine. If you want to tell me that Louie should play with Bo Horvat because for whatever reason, there's some black magic that makes that line work. I'll actually, I'll actually have to be like, oh, I hate it so much, but you might have a point. Um, <laughs> but, but if you try to tell me that Erickson should play with Pettersson, like just, just, just like I'm pointing at the door, use it. <laughs> you know, and it's like no, no, I don't have time for this. Uh, no one has time for this. We do not have to see Louis Erickson play with Elias Pettersson. Like, there's no, no one wins. No one wins for that. Hey, what about? Here's my my pet theory. I suggested this in in my column today. Antoine Roussel didn't get a shot on Thursday, but he's the guy who should do it. He's probably their best rate scorer scorer based on the last three years uh, among Vancouver's depth wingers. Uh, you know, that aren't obviously like Pearson or Horvat. Um, I don't think you want to move Nils Hoaglander off the line when, when he's doing well and he's 20 years old and he's just finding his feet in the NHL. Like, give him some consistency. I don't think you want to mess that lineup. I don't really think you want to mess that Mott Beagle Sutter lineup. They've played really well. Uh, so take a guy from the fourth line, the line that's not playing all that often. Uh, and for me, that's that's Roussel. I don't I don't really like the Godet fit either. I just don't think Godet plays with the puck enough to to help Pedersen and Besser. And it's so important. And look, you more than me, although I've certainly come around and I've learned from your observations. You know, just the fickleness of the game. Yes, Pedersen rang a shot off the crossbar. If that goes in. We're talking about he's back, the shot, right? Like, and there's none of this conversation. Like, it, it, not even no, an I think inch. There like, been. I think there would have been. I disagree with you. I think, like, you? the Pedersen shot is going to come. What is missing right now is the elite two-way impact. Is, like, like Pedersen is at the bottom of the heap among Canucks forwards by shot attempt differential, right? The... <laughs> they're, they're, the Canucks are controlling 42.6% of shot attempts when he's on the ice, 37% of scoring chances. Uh, his expected goal percentage uh, is in the 30s. Uh, like, it's only two games. You don't want to overreact, but we just didn't see a lot of stretches, like multi-game stretches like that from Pedersen. He was completely dominant in terms of the flow of play. That hasn't happened. It's not on him. Like, that hasn't happened for that line through two games. Um, they just have to be better, and and that it's okay to say that. Like he, I'm sure, would say the same if we had an opportunity to talk to him. Right, and he's doing it without his running mate, JT Miller. Like, and so you know, sort of doing it with one hand tied behind his back, and and that's why I say like it'll come. And I do like I've worked pretty hard here to try to find the balance because there was a lot of good on opening night, and oh, it was yeah. you know to see Besser score the way that he did score, like that was terrific stuff, and. Obviously, the Hoaglander story is terrific for anybody to oh, awesome. step right in and, and continue. You know, there, there were questions like, yeah, training camp was great. Now can he do it in the NHL and to score on opening night? But even beyond his goal, uh, the puck battles, the way he freed the puck up for Pearson to spring Horvat and the opener. Like, yeah, so there, there's been a lot of good here. Uh, obviously, as we record this, it's the morning after you know, their first loss of the season. And there will be more losses. That's the way pro sports works. So, <laughs> sure. Um, 
you know, it, it's just and the other thing too is like Pedersen, you know, the underlying numbers that you mentioned last night, he lost the head to head battle with McDavid handily. But yeah. a lot of that was Connor McDavid too, right? So <laughs> totally. credit credit where it's due there. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying like the the top no, line. I think the story being... for me is yeah, the story for me is that the top line the top line churns, right? Like this, you know, we're we're talking about high bars. We're talking about a line or or a Canucks top line that was the best in the Western Conference last season, and that was essential to their success. And to this point, they've been you know, the Vancouver line that's played the most without the puck. Like, that has to be talked about. That has to be a story, even though we've also seen Pedersen send a 100-foot bank pass that was nothing short of sumptuous, right? And that shot, I mean, if that shot is a decimeter further um, toward the toward the ice, that's, like, as good a goal as you'll see in the National Hockey League this year. Um, I'm not worried. They're going to be fine. I actually don't even think I'd change the line up. Like, I, I actually think I'd give Vertanen time to... to figure it out to, to play through it. But, um, you know, it, there's no way to come out of those two games without that being your top storyline, especially with the way the Oilers started, right? With the way that, the, that McDavid and Dreisaitl attacked the Canucks on that very first shift. Um, you know, Demko made two saves in the opening 90 seconds, and I was on the phone as the game started with, like, um, like a, a contact, uh, Eastern Conference guy. Uh, and I was just like, oh... <laughs> Bubble Demko is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, but that's why I say, like, I think I agree with you that there's a ton of room for improvement and they'll get there, talking about the top line guys, but I do think that had Pedersen scored, I think people would have been talking more about, like, the shot, it's there. Uh, it's also worth noting, too, that he's had a couple of exploding sticks, and I don't know if he's got a new stick or a new pattern or whatever, but, you know, that's something that happens in hockey, but there seemed to be a little bit of frustration on his part, too. Uh, and maybe even an unwillingness to uh, to load up with the one-time bomb after a couple of his sticks uh, shattered on him. So uh, let's see what the weekend holds as they move into Calgary now. And, you know, the beauty of a guy like Elias Pettersson is the uh, next game is that next opportunity. And going up <laughs> against Markstrom and Tanev, you know that he's going to be fired up. The other good thing is you're talking about a frustrated Elias Pettersson, and I'm like, right. oh, that's going to be good then. Exactly. <laughs> gonna be no, fun. I love that. I like, <laughs> I, I, I like that idea. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Lots of eyes, Tom, as you can imagine, on Ole Olevi. And we know that uh, there was the blip in the opener, the giveaway. And that looked like an American Hockey League play. Like That looked like a guy who felt that he had a couple extra strides and a little more time are, to are make the Are you buying play. the penalty? Are you buying the, the penalty that it should have been a penalty? It was a trip. Uh, no, yeah, really. it was a trip. It was a hook. It was both. Nah. You thought no, so? I don't, I don't. No, I don't think so either. But you know, but I, I appreciate he, it. He, I, I, yeah, yeah. The defense of a young player. I got that. But yeah. you know, he had Antoine Roussel on his left. It was an easy play to make, and I don't know why he didn't. And you hope that he learns uh, from his mistakes. But there can't be a whole lot more of those types of glaring errors uh, from Ulevi. Is certainly you, you know. 
there's going to be more. I mean, I think everybody has to expect that. But overall, uh, I've seen sort of mixed reviews. There are people that are pulling for this guy, obviously. And, and so those people, I think, have, you know, outside of the mistake, it's been really good. I think there are others that uh, still question foot speed and his agility out there at the NHL level. And what have you seen from your levy two games in? I think he's been fine. I mean, I think he's been capable. Like, he's looked, he's looked capable of playing NHL minutes, but the NHL minutes he's playing are being very carefully managed, right? Like, he is not playing a ton against top six competition. Um, you know, he, everyone, like, only seven minutes at five on five separate one through five uh, on the Canucks defense score, right, in, in terms of uh, five on five play. Uh, Hughes is the high man at 36-42. Hamannick's the low man at 29-31, and then you've got Yolevi like well off at 20-46, at right? So he's 10 minutes back of five, and five is only uh, seven minutes back of one, right? So, I mean, that tells you yeah. a lot, Like, and I think that's just crucial context. He has looked good. I think that's absolutely right, but he's also looked good in a you know, very prescribed role. He's being put in a position to succeed. And, you know, in that type of environment, like you need to look good, right? Like it's not, it's not NHL level looking good. It's a different kind of like, he's, it's a different kind of like, he's shown he can hang if utilized a certain way, but you can't spend a ton of time in this league, like making circumstances beneficial for your sixth defender. Right. Like your sixth defender kind of has to just be able to go. And so, you know, look, he's he's going to get some time here to figure it out and and we'll check back. I, I think I saw enough to say, you know, I, I think he can probably play at this level. I think his feet have been just good enough. Um, I think his, you know, defensive authority and, and all around hockey brain is obviously there. I think he makes some good passes. But, you know, this there's nothing about this that screams like star to me. And I, I, you know, I just think that's important. Like this looks like a depth defender. And, and if that's what he becomes, like that's still super useful for this Canucks team, especially uh, considering their cap situation and considering their team building cycle. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's check back. I want to give him some more time. I think he's going to get burned out wide still at this level. Um, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's, I think he's going to play. And, and I think for the Canucks, that's a huge, huge development uh, considering you know, where I've been on him for much of the past two years anyway. And with Hamannick, like, talk about a guy that could use a day off, and it is a team day off as we record this on Friday. Like, what a complete whirlwind for him. Uh, it's probably not fair necessarily to to judge. I mean, he's picked up a couple of points. He's not here to generate a ton in the way of offense. We talked about uh, sort of the miscommunication on that play with Hughes on the McDavid uh, hat-trick goal. There have been some moments. There were the penalties, obviously, in the first game, and, and that didn't surprise me. I think uh, he's a guy that's going to be searching for the speed of the game for a little while here without the benefit of any kind of training camp and having not played in the better part of a year. But, uh, again, what have you seen from Hamnick through the first couple? Yeah, I think he's been okay. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it's been about what you'd expect. Right. Um, yep. You know, we'll see. Like, I'm not – I'm not. I th- I, Hamnick's a bright player, and I think that's showed – uh, I think there's been some things to like, and there's been some things where it looks like he's just getting up to speed, right? I, I wouldn't sort of conclude that there's been some things that show anything to us decisively, aside from I can you can see why this will why this could make sense, right, with Hughes long term, um, and you can also see some of the you know uh, 
questions that people might have about his declining foot speed, especially in the minutes that he was paired with Alex Edler on Thursday, right? Like, I don't know that that's going to be something that the Canucks can really turn to on a, on a super regular basis. I, I just think, you know, you need to have one of Schmidt, Myers, or Hughes on the ice at, at more or less all moments just to make sure you've got that, you know, uh, forward thrust to your attack. So, uh, look, I think he's been fine, and, and I think he'll get better. I, I think you can see why you know, the fit here for him in Vancouver and for the Canucks is, you know, <laughs> like, like hand in glove. Um, even though I don't know that he's like come out roaring, nor should he have been expected to considering the quarantine protocols and the two day training camp and on and on that he's sort of working himself through. We, we probably should have talked about it sooner, but again, trying to cover off two games uh, in one podcast here. But the ass pass from Hughes in the opener <laughs> was insane. Like yeah, the just... assist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Amazing. like that play had the potential to explode because it's Leon Dreisaitl that is busting in on him at the blue line. And I don't know how Dreisaitl missed the puck, but he's off to the races. Like he's on a breakaway if he gets it. And mm-hmm. instead there's Hughes, you know, on his ass with the mind like the the wherewithal to not just keep the play alive but to make a pass to Besser and then like we've talked about Besser too with the the shot Incredible. looking like rookie Besser but that just that was like opening night Quinn Hughes like of course Quinn Hughes makes that kind of play on opening night because he's Quinn Hughes yeah no i mean he, he looked like he was paddling a canoe right like it looked <laughs> like he was like <laughs> it looked like he was going going across the lake um, for a picnic. Uh, incredible. Truly incredible. And the fact that he, like, finds it on the tape. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know that I've seen anything like that. Like, I, I can't even think of the last time I saw someone do a no-look canoe paddle pass onto a guy's tape from from a seated position at the NHL level. Like, I, I just can't. I can't. I'm racking my brain to think about a similar play that I've ever witnessed. I haven't. I just haven't seen it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Quinn Hughes is incredible. Uh, Quinn Hughes playing a lot with Pedersen. Uh, usage looks to be a little bit different this year, which is which is fun to see, and is played the most of any Canucks defenseman. Like this is this is the year that Quinn Hughes is really going to be the unquestioned number one in Vancouver. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of things we've never seen before, and there's a lot of plays that are just going to leave us laughing. Like I was laughing. I'm in my room. I'm laughing. I'm just like, what is happening? How did he make that play? Uh, that's the that's the Quinn Hughes experience. I, I think we're going to be in for a lot of it this season. I'm here for that. Hey, and, and you mentioned it in passing, and I don't want to get deep here, but credit where it's due. I, I swear that Beagle, Sutter, and Mott have played more in the offensive zone in two games than they did yeah. most of last season. They have been good. Like They, they have legit really good. been good. So... Full credit to them to the point that Sutter and his pregame availability with us in the media yesterday, like he even joked uh, after game one, he's like, yeah, man, we, we got offensive zone face-offs. Like it was like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was so good. He that, Sutter's availability was awesome, right? Like what I've, what I've started to do is just treat Sutter like a coach. You know what I mean? Like I ask him for his thoughts on young players and stuff. He always gives the yeah. best answers. Like he's so insightful. Um, that line played a lot against Dreisaitl, and they played a lot. And then I loved, you know, uh, Hanrahan Singh, who got the national call on the first game, right? And his first national call, a historic moment for Canadian broadcasting. I thought he crushed it. But the one thing that he really did was, like, that line kept generating chances. And every time they generated a chance, he sold it, right? So it was like, 
big chance beagle <laughs> and i'm sitting on my couch just like cracking up right i'm just like oh man <laughs> so good um especially because you know it was like big chance beagle big chance sutter big chance beagle big chance mott like they were generating like crazy and uh and and you know he was he was really selling it he was selling it like that was a top line finishing ability and i loved it like it i honestly was sitting there just getting jacked i was like wow um but look they finished that game like Beagle's Beagle's shot attempt differential. Uh, the the number starts with seven. Yeah, seventy yeah. <laughs> percent. It's unbelievable. How much of that is that those guys you know are like coming into camp? Like the margins for those guys in this league are not, you know, super high. And I, I wonder how much of it, like those guys you know, are coming into camp is like three of the fittest, you know, forty players in the league, right? All right, three of them, so, across and- the board. We saw it with Beagle, like in his forties, and you wrote about it. Like he led his pack, and and yeah, look, he every game, like he's thirty five, like he's fighting to stay in the National Hockey League, even though he's got a contract for this year and next. I mean, he's at a point of his career where I think he realizes that he's getting pushed every day by you know whether it's a Mark mm-hmm. Michaelis or somebody below him in the lineup that wants a chance. And so these first couple of games, he's looked like a guy that recognizes that, and he knows that you know his first two years in Vancouver have not been great on the ice I think he brings some other things to the hockey club and uh but I'm having trouble reconciling big chance beagle like I just don't think that nickname is going to stick over the, <laughs> no. the long haul here at no, this stage neither. of his career I've had <laughs> but I've had it I, no it was good I've had a few people uh reach out and wonder how Miller out of the lineup uh, affects the uh the goal bet that we had the season projections right and it doesn't because we both had JT Miller with 19. So it's a push. Uh, you know, it, it really doesn't affect anything. But I did have some people wonder if it would impact, you know, if you, and he's not going to, he's going to miss some games, but he'll be back here sooner rather than later. But I, I bring this up because uh, I got a message out of the blue from Fraser, who listened to our goal projections. And he said, I work for Two Rivers Meats. And I think we should help you with Love your steak rivers, wager. So this was unsolicited. Awesome. North Van Meat Shop. And he says, thinking along the lines of, we donate the cost of a butcher's pack to a charity of your choice for the winner. So the stakes have just gotten higher, literally. Um, and I've gone back and forth with Fraser, and we haven't ironed out all the details, but... Love the support, so thank you to Fraser, and yeah. thank you Killer. Uh, to Two Rivers Meats, and I just wanted to mention... And a charitable component is lovely. Like, let's yes. let's do that for sure, and, yeah. and maybe maybe they'll match, right? Because I still think the loser must be punished. Like, I had to spend a oh, dollar no nineteen on getting you a pack of gum, yeah, so no, I don't no, want no. you to get off easy. No doubt. <laughs> Except that I'm so going to extend my... Match. Yeah, but I'm going to extend my win streak, so I'm not too worried about <laughs> any of that. But no, no, no. We'll have our personal bet, but if there are additional uh, factors at play. I, I love that. So I'll finalize that with Fraser, but I, I just wanted to oh, thank I'm him so for, for reaching out. And I've had a number of people, and you probably have as well, uh, asking about the future of the Botford Project. And mm. I want to take a sec here because I confirmed this with the Canucks this week. We don't have all the details. I'm not here to make a, an official announcement, but I can say that the Botford Project will return for a second year amazing in a scaled down fashion and we will get the details here pretty soon but 
if you applied last year and you didn't get selected, uh, you know, polish up the, uh, don't need a resume, but uh, just start thinking about, uh, you know, what you would bring to this opportunity if, in fact, you get the chance here. And obviously the world has changed and our access points and access to the building and all that, it's a little bit different. It's not uh, sort of the way we envisioned the Boxford project at the outset and the way that uh, most of the candidates experienced it in year number one. But uh, I can say right here, right now, to those that are wondering, yes, the Botchford Project will be back for a second year. So I'm excited about that. I'm sure you are. We'll both be involved hands-on, and uh, you can look for details in the coming weeks on that, on how to apply and some of the timelines and dates and those types of things. So just wanted to get that out there. No, and you know what? It's in the spirit of the project that, you know, things aren't always easy, right? Like things aren't always smooth totally. or normal, right? And and yeah. so coming into this environment, doing exactly what the rest of us are doing, which is scrambling to figure out how to cover hockey in a world where you have zero face-to-face interaction with any of the subjects you're covering, like that's a massive challenge, one that we work through every day. And I think it's a tremendous learning experience to have an opportunity to be part of the Botchford Project this year, maybe more so than ever, uh, because if there was one media guy who lived for, you know, uncanny, interesting, wholly original problem solving, right? It, it was our it was our late friend, Jason Botchford. And the segue, just to finish up, is uh, how good has it been to have Wyatt back on the armies? Oh, and, you know, I mean, games are back. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. So uh, it's been a lot of fun this week. It's been nice to have hockey back, to see hockey, the ups and the downs that... Uh, you know, everybody goes through with the, when you follow the hockey club here and two games in, there's been a lot to digest and a lot to chew on. And we'll continue to uh, uh, push out podcasts here all season long. So we're up and running. Uh, that's the good news. Uh, into Calgary for the Canucks games on Saturday and Monday, and then uh, a chance uh, to come back home. And I know that doesn't mean much to the fans because they're not able to get into the building, no. but uh, I am looking forward to I haven't seen a Canucks game in person since March the 10th last year against the Islanders. You got the summer uh, in the bubble. So I'm, I'm really excited about what next week holds just to get back and experience hockey in an empty building and sort of see what that is all uh, about uh, in person. So, uh, yeah. Have, you, yeah. You, know what, you know what else I'm looking forward to? This is a weird thing and super personal, but like, you know, Saturday night, Saturday night during hockey season is a work night, right? For us, always. Yep. And yep. if it's not, it's a date night because I'm working every other Saturday night, right? Um, I'm excited this Saturday night for the first time in maybe six years to like order a pizza and watch Hockey Night in Canada. Like I haven't done that in years. I haven't done that in forever. And I'm really excited to do that. So I'm trying to I'm trying to find the silver linings where I can. That to me is one. Like I'm gonna order a pizza, I'm gonna watch Hockey Night in Canada. I'm going to wear sweatpants. It's going to be beautiful. Oh, wait. Yeah, because it's a road game. Perfect. Yes. yes. This is my plan. I'm very excited about it. Find joy where you can and uh, and enjoy, you know, Saturday night Canucks hockey because it's back this week. NHL Deputy Commish Bill Daly is the first guest on the two-man Advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun Wednesday at The Athletic. You can check that out. Also, and we always say this, and I really appreciate it, and I'm always looking to see who's reaching out uh, on the app. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a, receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. All right, you enjoy pizza night, the Canucks, and the Canucks, <laughs> sort of, as they see Markstrom and Tanev and Levo and 
whoever, I don't know, maybe the Flames will add another former Canuck by the time. <laughs> I saw, like, Louis Domingue was the backup. He actually dressed yeah. for the Flames in their season opener, so... <laughs> Maybe they'll claim Anton Forsberg. <laughs> Just no, pass him around. Too late. The Jets got <laughs> him. Back, I know. Yeah, but, so. but, uh, but like, he's going to keep going. <laughs> this is not over. This is not over. He's going to play for every <laughs> every team this year at some point. They're all going to just take their turns with Anton Forsberg. Hey, enjoy Pete tonight. Uh, enjoy the hockey game. Have a great weekend, everybody. And as always, thanks so much for your support. Uh, for Grant Search, Pat. You've been listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.